four kids, two keys at the same time. This episode is sponsored by Hired.com. Every week on Hired, they run an auction where over a 1,000 tech companies in San Francisco, New York, and L.A. bid on Ruby developers, providing them with salary and equity up front. The average Ruby developer gets an average of 5 to 15 introductory offers and an average salary offer of $130,000 a year. Users can either accept an offer and go right into interviewing with the company or deny them without any continuing obligations. It's totally free for users, and when you're hired, they give you a $2,000 signing bonus as a thank you for using them. But if you use the Ruby Rogues link, you'll get a $4,000 bonus instead. Finally, if you're not looking for a job but know someone who is, you can refer them to Hired to get a $1,337 bonus if they accept a job. Go sign up at Hired.com slash Ruby Rogues. Snap is a hosted CI and continuous delivery that is simple and intuitive. Snap's deployment pipelines deliver fast feedback and can push healthy builds to multiple environments automatically or on demand. Snap integrates deeply with GitHub and has great support for different languages, data stores, and testing frameworks. Snap deploys your application to cloud services like Heroku, DigitalOcean, AWS, and many more. Try Snap for free. Sign up at snapci.com slash rubyrogues. This episode is sponsored by DigitalOcean. DigitalOcean is the provider I use to host all of my creations. All the shows are hosted there, along with any other projects I come up with. Their user interface is simple and easy to use, their support is excellent, and their VPSs are backed on solid-state drives and are fast and responsive. Check them out at DigitalOcean.com. If you use the code RubyRogues, you'll get a $10 credit. Hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 241 of the Ruby Rogues podcast. This week on our panel, we have Avi Grimm. Hello from Tennessee. Jessica Kerr. Good morning. I'm Charles Maxwood from DevChat.tv. Just a quick shout out, uh, Ruby Remote Comp is coming up in March. If you're interested, go check it out rubyremoteconf.com. You can also submit talks for the call for proposals, which will be up for another month or so. Uh, we have a special guest this week, and that's Phil Spittler. Hello from oddly hot Charlotte, North Carolina. Oddly hot. What does that mean? Oddly hot. It's about 75 degrees here. Um, at least it was yesterday. I'll trade you. <laughs> right. Yeah. Oh, I know. But the, the cold's coming. Yeah. You're, you've got the same weather we do. Yeah. Yeah. You're in Tennessee, right, Avdi? Yeah. It's been like shorts and t-shirt weather. Yep. Well, we didn't bring you on to talk about the weather. Do you want to introduce yourself really quick, and then we can uh, jump into our topic, which is what makes a successful developer? Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me, first of all. I'm a long-time listener, first-time guest, and uh, for roughly two years, I've been working as a mentor at Block, which is the original online boot camp. Oh, interesting. What does that mean? We were established in 2011. We were really coming to the show early as far as uh, boot camps are concerned, and Right away, we decided to go with an online program instead of doing an in-person classroom setting. We, we chose a one-on-one mentorship online, and uh, that's the way that you know, we've been working with that ever since. That makes sense. I think we all have opinions about what makes a good developer. I'm curious, though, and maybe we can just go around the horn. What, in your opinion, is the most important thing that makes a good developer? Obviously, there are a lot of things, but what's the most important? I would consider the, the most important aspect of becoming a good developer is a growth mindset. It's a mindset that um, nothing is beyond you and you can overcome any problem that, uh, that you're faced with, really, as long as you're persistent. Um, and, and as long as you understand that you not knowing something right now doesn't mean that you will never know it. And, uh, and so a really powerful word is uh, yet. Like, I, I can't get this yet. 
if you just throw that at the end of a lot of your thoughts, um, you can start to think in, in more of a growth mindset that if you keep going at the problem at hand, then you can you know overcome it and take on any challenge, really. That's really interesting. Uh, Jessica, what, what, in your opinion, is the most important quality for becoming a great developer? I think Phil is right. You need that curiosity and that desire to figure things out. And then after that, it takes a lot of time, time spent figuring things out because like everything that you figure out how to do, every tool that you use, every problem that you successfully debug is going to make your job easier in the future. It also takes a bit of luck to like happen upon the right people who teach you the right things and you get tools that are actually useful. Yeah. So I'm going to go with curiosity combined with time and luck. All right. What about you, Avdi? So are we, is the question, um, what does it take to become a developer or a productive developer or a great developer? A great developer. And in, in particular, I'm, I'm just curious, like, what is the most important quality you can have? I think perspective, which for me is, is illustrated in a lot of things, but one of them is the ability to decide what not to do. Uh, I, Thank you, Avdi. You just said what I was thinking about maybe trying to say, but I couldn't figure it out. So, so what do you mean by that, knowing what not to do? What not to study, what not to fix, what ticket to throw away. I totally agree. I was thinking this the other day, in fact, when I was like trying to work on a program for work. And as an experienced developer, I feel like I should put something, not put something in production with bugs. You know, my stuff should be really solid and tested. But that makes me slower than the right out of college people. But then I thought, wait, 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 wait. As an experienced developer, what I bring to this is not getting everything right. It's knowing what needs to be right and what doesn't. Yeah. I mean, I think it's it's really easy to be a very productive developer, but that's not necessarily what I want to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I and, totally agree. Yeah. And I would just add, and this is something that Phil pointed out in his email when we were talking about this topic before, is just wanting to sit down and do the job, you know, and sticking to it, having that grit where you just get in and and, and figure stuff out, um, especially when you're beginning. You don't know a lot of these things that we're talking about. And so you have to just get in there and kind of make some mistakes and knock down some walls and and break some stuff. And then you figure out, oh, OK, that's the way you learn what Avdi and Jessica were just talking about. There's a, a lot in between where you start and, and what you become. And, and much of that is driven by what you're willing to put yourself through to figure things out. And that's where the grit comes in. I mean, even as early as today, I'm, I'm working on, you know, an express middleware. And basically, the documentation does not have anywhere how to do what I'm trying to do. It's just outside of that. And so I'm just, I'm literally hacking. I'm, I'm going to try this. I'm going to try this. I'm going to try this. And, you know, eventually things started falling into place, working correctly, and then other things wouldn't. And, uh, and, and so it's just that I'm, make, I'm making little, little progress. And eventually, I'm going to, to get that figured out. And uh, I've been doing that my whole career. And uh, that's part of what I enjoy about programming and, and what drives really great developers, I believe, is that thrill you get from getting to the next step of a problem. Chuck, can I challenge you on a question? Sure. The question was, what does it take to be a great developer? But the topic of the show is being a successful developer. I'm a successful developer. Oh. And I'm wondering, what do we mean by great or successful? Because great implies comparison. Mm. A successful does not. That's true. It's it's interesting because I've had I've worked with people that showed up for a job and 
collected a paycheck and they added value to their company they were working for. But when it came right down to it, they weren't out there actively growing or working on anything that really meant anything. And so I don't know that I would classify them as great developers, even though they were successful developers, meaning that they were successful. They got out there, they did their job, they they were worth hiring, but they weren't necessarily great developers. I'm not sure how I would define great developers. I mean, I know people who I kind of hold up as role models, but I don't know that that's necessarily the exclusive group of great developers either. And it's certainly not the exclusive group of successful developers. Because right. yeah, those people who don't do programming in their spare time, but they contribute to the organization and um, are nice and helpful and share what they know. Those are successful people and I'm happy yeah. to work with them. But but that being said, I mean, Phil brought up a great point and that was that growth mindset, that that hunger to learn. And that's something that I really admire about Avdi in particular. Um, you know, I've been following Ruby Tapas for a while and I've, you know, I've read his blog off and on over the years and it, it always looks like he's exploring something new. And at the same time, he's also then really thinking deeply about the way that it affects things that he works on. And by making that growth and making that movement upward, I mean, I think that really does epitomize what makes a great developer. But I also know other people that go out, they do a great job. They're constantly learning. They're just not as public. And I think they're great developers. They're just not great public developers, I guess. Right. The measure of success, like what you're measuring that against. So so great implies comparison. Measure of success almost does as well, I believe, because uh, one of the things going on in the boot camp world right now is uh, basically like job placement rate is the, the measure of success that a lot have established. And uh, for many of them, it's a number that you can use the metric. But that metric is it's it's built in with so much fluff that it's a marketing tool. It's not it, it has nothing to do with reality of how successful their students are. And we're working on our number. But when we plan on publishing it, we will with uh, with basically showing our work, um, which is which is what you don't get in most most places. You know, who do they leave out of that equation? And in regards to success, I believe that you are successful if you contribute and give back to the development community. That's successful to me. Um, that's your personal definition yeah. of success? Yeah. The, the, the more that I can give back and the more that I can do to help developers grow and learn, the more successful I feel. So maybe that's just me as a mentor. But uh, yeah, and, and other people, of course, have their own value of what makes them successful for sure. I want to respond quickly to what Chuck said. First of all, thank you. But I also want to say, kind of build on, on what you said, Chuck, you know, which is that there are different forms of success and there are different forms of greatness. And it's also very easy for me to look at some people who are fantastic communicators as, you know, programmers and fantastic communicators, you know, people like Martin Fowler or Kent Beck mm -hmm. and, you know, and sort of idealize them as, as the great programmers. And they are, they absolutely are. But at the same time, you know, there's a relatively small number of them and there's probably space for a relatively small number of, you know, these sort of transcendent communicators. And I've worked with a lot of terrific, skilled, generous, uh, kind and, you know, and, and just incredibly effective programmers who weren't, didn't have anything like that kind of high profile. And it's, I think it's easy for it's, it's a, a little too easy for somebody like me to say, well, you know, I've gotten to where I am partly by being a sort of prolific communicator. And so you should be too. But no, not really. You know, there, there are a lot of different paths 
to having a terrific career in this field. I agree with that. In regards to the different paths to being successful in this field, I had a thought. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, It's been mentioned by um, both Chuck and Avdi now, speaking to developers that we look up to. I, I mean, I can say right off the bat, it's all summed up in a tweet that I sent out probably four years ago. And that is, if I could have lunch with Sandy Metz and Robert Martin, Uncle Bob, that would be like that would be like a dream lunch for me. Uh, like the conversations of you know of object oriented design would just be phenomenal, and I would just it would be great. I can't imagine it wouldn't be like yes, yes, absolutely, maintainability, yes. <laughs> that so, is one thing I like about conferences is getting to eat with people who are transcendent communicators. What do they sort of symbolize for you in terms of, you know, what do they epitomize for you? For me, they epitomize basically what they speak about. What I take away from what they speak about mostly in their talks is maintainability. And that's that's another thing that I'm extremely passionate about. And I believe it's the number one factor in being successful or having a successful product and also possibly even being a successful company is having something that's maintainable in a way that um it's not rigid it's very easy to uh to, to add features when they're requested and it's just easy easy to maintain everything else is secondary whether, whether your whether your application you know if it needs to be a little faster sure work on performance but um the things that they talk about are um very powerful um i believe anybody can take away from even if you're not a ruby developer you should be listening to sandy metz it, you know if you if you're not i mean robert martin's completely agnostic as far as i've seen that's what I take away from them is is pretty much the the message of maintainability that is basically I guess preached for lack of a better word through object oriented design principles. What about in functional programming? In functional programming, I have to say that Eric Elliot is somebody that that I look up to in functional programming, and, and that's just because I'm a JavaScript head myself as well. Um, I love Ruby, love JavaScript, and I, I could stay in those two languages forever and just live on that. So you have two podcasts that I greatly love. <laughs> so yeah, er- Eric Elliott. And, and, and in regards to just functional programming in general, to flip object-oriented design and flip over to functional programming, I have a very keen interest on that because it's another way to manage complexity. And, and that I love. It's another way to get to the same place. Actually, it could be maybe not a simpler way, but a cleaner way than uh, with, with huge object structures. So I think it's interesting that you basically said I would go and find an opportunity to be mentored by uh, such and such a person and such and such a person, you know, Sandy Metz and Uncle Bob. What about people who are newer who maybe wouldn't recognize all of the pearls of wisdom, so to speak, that Uncle Bob and Sandy Metz would start? You know, they're they're really new, they're beginners, or they just haven't taken the time to educate themselves. Where do they get started? Do they just find somebody that's a rung or two up the ladder? I would say maybe not a rung or two up the ladder, but someone who's used to working with people who are just getting started. I mean, one of the things that I do, you know, with at Block, we get some developers who come in and uh, they've been working, you know, on Code Academy on their own for a year. And so they come in and by the time we get to the end of a course or a track, they're ready to roll. And and they're they're asking me about topics that aren't even in the curriculum. and, And it's a blast. That's one student. And then another student is completely green, never d- done that in their life. I-, I worked with a student, Carmen. She was an extremely fun student to work with because she was an administrative assistant at a college. And we worked together for eight months. And uh, I'd say she struggled a little bit with she'd spend too much time on problems. 
but that kind of let me know that she had the right idea about this. Uh, she didn't want my help. It was a little bit to a fault. So uh, I persuaded her a little bit. And basically, I, I was a little more active in staying in touch with her between our meetings and getting her to tell me, hey, you know, what's a sticking point for you right now? And basically, she'd tell me. And many times, I was just a rubber duck. <laughs> she'd start telling me and then she'd work it out on her own, which is incredible. But uh, yeah, I mean, today she she works at a startup in San Francisco called Flyer. I, and I'll say this in regards to any boot camp. To get your start in programming, boot camps are essentially equipped to work with uh, someone who's beginning to program because that's just what we do every day. Now, our, our model is a little different. We, we actually work, you know, with a mentorship. Mentorship is really the cornerstone of the way we operate. It's a highlight. It's driven throughout the whole organization um, as, as really the, what makes up our company. And so uh, with pair programming and, uh, and working one-on-one -on -one like that, you can really get to know your students and you know, work with them directly in a way that will positively affect them. Um, and they, they get the attention regardless of what skill they come in at of, of what they need. And to find someone like that, that's essentially how I got my start is trying to solve a problem and seeking out a sysadmin and uh, being like, what language should I learn to solve this problem? And he said, Pearl. And so I dug in and I kept going back and forth with him. And I didn't realize this, but I just I ended up with a mentor um, and didn't even know it. And so he mentored me.